And uh, while they're going, if the rest of us could turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And uh, this is found on page 1,148. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read uh, verses 11 to 13. And then we'll jump over to chapter 7 and verse 2. Uh, because um, you've got two little sections which are both talking about the same ideas, we'll, I think we'll see. And sandwiched between is this section, verses 14 to chapter 7, verse 1, about not being unequally yoked. But we'll, we'll come to that, I hope, God willing, next time. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, first of all. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. And then going on into chapter 7 and verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So keep your Bible open and uh, let's now pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace to us. And we thank you for the wonderful privilege of being able to Hear from your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. And although it was written for a particular situation, there are eternal principles which we can draw from your word. Father, please help me to teach your word accurately and fairly and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And please, Lord, speak to every one of our hearts, Lord. Is there an attitude that needs to change? Uh, Lord, help us to see that. And if there is, please shine your light and bring about such a change, we pray. Through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, in these verses that we read just now, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks of the warm and open-hearted love that he has for the believers in Corinth. And he urges those believers, in turn, to open their hearts to him. 
as I said a moment ago, these, 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 uh, this passage is in two parts. Verses, we have verses 11 to 13 of chapter 6, and then uh, verses 2 to 4 of chapter 7. Sandwiched between those two sections is another section which talks about where the apostle is urging the believers not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, that section, I'm sure, is sandwiched between for a reason. And it it is perhaps because instead of having proper love for the apostle, the apostle knew that what these believers were doing, they were really looking for fellowship and support and partnership from unbelievers. Uh, So... Um, it, they, that, that section is relevant, but I thought I wouldn't have time to deal with that section as well as, as, well as what he's talk, saying in, in these two parts. So I, I, that's why I, I've split it out, and I hope God willing to look at that section, unequally yoked, do not unequally yoked, uh, chapter 6, verses 14 to 7, verse 1. I hope next Sunday morning. Now the background for what the Apostle Paul is saying in these verses is... Clearly, that the affection of the believers in Corinth has been captured by others. I mentioned a moment ago about possibly this was unbelievers. But also, we do know from other places in this letter that the apostle talks about false teachers who'd come into the church whom he dubbed super apostles. And these people were trying to wean the love of the people in Corinth, of the believers in Corinth, away from the apostle and towards themselves because they wanted to fill these people with their own version of the Christian gospel. And... So Paul was aware of this, and he was aware that that although he had really strong love for the believers there in Corinth, that love was not being returned. They were closing their hearts towards him, and they were treating him in a sort of frosty, standoffish, cold way. And they were distancing themselves from him. And so he says to them, look, I love you. Please, will you love me in return? Now, uh, of course, the situation there was, was, was very unique. Um, thankfully, I don't, I'm not aware we've got that sort of situation here in the church. Here. I'm not aware of anybody coming in and trying to wean your affections away from, from Ed and myself. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I have a great deal of, support and encouragement coming from you in all sorts of ways. I'm very, very grateful for that. So, you know, it's not that this, you know, we're not sort of looking, saying, oh, well, here we are, here's a direct application. No, 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 of course not. But we can still draw lessons from what the apostle is saying here. We can, and and I think there's two great principles which we can draw out from this passage, even though our situation might be very different. And, and the principles are, first of all, number one, 
pastors should have a tender and warm love for the sheep who are under their care. That's something we can learn from from the apostles' attitude here uh, that is displayed here. And this is a message for me and for Ed and for for Paul and for anyone who might hope to be a pastor in the future. And it's a message for you to know what you should pray for us, that that God would help us to be. Um, But then there's a second application, which is that the sheep should in turn love their pastors. Um, and so we can we can seek to see what that what the scriptures say, and you know I thank God for the love that you do show. But maybe there might be you might think, ah, oh, there might be an improvement, possible room for improvement here, or perhaps improvement room for improvement there. So hopefully, or if, even if you're at the full level of what you should to be, you can say you can be encouraged in what you're already doing. So hopefully, we can all benefit from from considering. Uh, this passage together. Uh, it, it is a bit embarrassing in a sense when, when a pastor has to tell his, his flock <laughs> how they should love him. You know, you think, oh, has he got an axe to grind? Is it? But the trouble is, as you go through the Bible, you know, you get to these passages and you just, you've just got to preach them. You, you can't sort of skip over them. So here we are. Uh, you know, you pre- just pretend it's not me. Pretend it's just like Paul speaking to you and, and, or it's some, some visiting speaker who, who's, who's telling you these things. Okay, so um, uh, well, we start then with the application for me and for Ed and for Paul, and, 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 and let's turn the spotlight on us first of all. So pastors should love the sheep who have been entrusted to their care by God. So in these verses, you, there is just amazing tenderness here, isn't there? You know, the, Paul... It's a man who really loved the, the, the people whom God had, been, had entrusted to his care. He says, look at verse 11. He says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. It's this really big heart that he has for them. And it's wide open. He's, he, he really does love them. Remember this is this is the word of God. This is this is not just an idle boast. This is inspired by by the Holy Spirit. This is true. This is how he was. He had this enormous heart for the uh, for the believers. And and um, you might remember how um, earlier on when we were looking in um, in, in 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 this letter, you know, we, we, how Paul um, was sort of really anxious um, uh, for the well-being of of the, of the believers in in Corinth, and and uh, was was really concerned and and and, uh, and wondering how they how they were doing and how he felt he'd had to send Titus to uh, to, to to find out uh, if they were all right and and um, and uh, we'll we'll come on later on to, to to consider that how he was so pleased when he had a, an encouraging report back from Titus when. When he when he found out that they were okay, uh, and um, and and also just look look a bit further on in in chapter seven, uh, verse two, he says, uh, second half of verse two, we have wronged no one. 
He's been absolutely right in all the ways in which he's dealt with the believers there. He says, we've corrupted no one. Uh, we've taken advantage of no one. We're not, we're not exploited anybody. Um, he says, uh, he says, you are in our hearts, verse 3, to die together and to live together. We're in this together, he says. Um, and uh, verse 4, he says, I have great pride in you. Now, this is the church that caused him an enormous amount of grief. You know, as you read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you know, they caused him a lot of problems. And, 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 and you know, made life difficult for him. But he says, I've got great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. He says, in all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. And I think in the context, he means he's overflowing with joy about these people. He's delighting in them and, and so glad that, that, that the Lord saved them and so glad that they're his brothers and sisters. And so we see that the Apostle Paul was not some sort of cold professional. Not somebody who was just hired to do a job. And he does his job nine till five and he, oh, getting caught to five now, pack up the office, go home, forget about them and just get on with my life. And No, he was, he was somebody who really loved them. And even, he wrote this letter, he was hundreds of miles away, but he still loved them so much, so strongly, so tenderly. He had real deep concern for them. He was constantly praying for them. And, uh, and he loved them so much, which is why, of course, he, he does rebuke them in, in, in his first letter and his second letter. You know, he does take them to task for, you know, for some pretty hairy sins, but he does so because he loves them. Not because he wants to have a go at them or because he's annoyed with them, but because he loves them and, and, he, and he really wants the very best for them. And, and, and the fact that their hearts are being drawn away, it's not just because he's thinking, oh, I wish these people would love me in sort of some sort of self-pitying way. No, because he was concerned for them because if they're being drawn away to false teachers or even to unbelievers, then this is going to be bad for them. They're going to land up uh, being infected by error. Let me give you a few other verses where, which talk about the, um, the love which Paul had for believers. You don't need to necessarily turn to these, but I'll just give them to you so you can see that this is not just a, a one-off thing. Uh, Philippians 1.8, he says to the believers in Philippi, For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then a, a couple of others in, in First, Thess First Thessalonians. Um, interestingly, he, he, he um, uses both the analogy of a mother and of a father in, in, in talking about his love for the believers in Thessalonica. So first of all, as a mother... 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, he says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
what a lovely picture. What, what, what greater, what more tender love can you find than a, a nursing mother caring for her newborn baby? And that's, that's, that's the sort of love that, that I have for you. Uh, and, uh, and he says, um, verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So, you know, he wasn't just a preacher. He was a preacher, but he wasn't just a preacher. He shared his life. He no doubt had them round to his home. He went to visit their homes. They, they, his life was shared with them. And then, and then uh, later on in the same chapter, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11, now switches to the father picture. For you know, he says, how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So here is this tender love, this tender concern, this, 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 this eagerness to do good and to share Christ and to, and to bless and to build up and to encourage, to nurture Real love and concern. Now, what's driving the apostle? Well, what's driving him is he knows that these ones who have been entrusted to his care are the precious sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the ones whom, who were loved by God the Father from eternity. The sheep whom the Father gave to the Son. The sheep for whom the Son laid down his life. The ones who are held by the hands of God and by the hands of Jesus. The ones that the Father and the Son will never let go of. Nothing can separate them from his love. These are the beloved sheep of God. And so he thinks, well, I've been loved, but they've been loved. And I've been given that this tremendous privilege by God Almighty of caring for his precious sheep. There's a price on the heads of these sheep. And the price is the blood of the eternal Son of God. They've been bought with his blood. They are valuable. And so he has this great sense of, of love and great sense of responsibility to care for these sheep. Now this is reflected in Acts 20, verse 28, when the apostle was talking to the Ephesian elders. He says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves, and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own 
blood. Very striking use of language there. Obtained with the blood of God. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who be, the Son of the Eternal Son of God, who became man. Such valuable, such a price was paid for these ones. Therefore, they are really precious, really valuable. We were, we looked earlier, didn't we, in, in, in Ephesians five about that love that Christ had for His church. He loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing with water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That love that Jesus has for his church. So Paul says, well, Something. These are very, these are very precious ones. I really must be careful. I must do what I can to look after them and to help them and to encourage them and strengthen them. So how how can a pastor? How should a pastor show love to the sheep that are under his care? Well, let me mention a few ways. So you can just to challenge me and challenge Ed and Paul, but also. So you know what I should be doing, so you can pray for me that God will help me and, and Ed and Paul to do what we should be doing. First of all, of course, the pastor should pray for his sheep. That's the most, perhaps, perhaps the most important thing. He should be down on his knees praying for them. Lord, bless them. He should be feeding the Lord's people with the with the word of God, shouldn't he? Do you remember what Jesus said to, to, to Peter? Do you, do you love me? He said, well, Peter said, yes, well, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked the question of Peter. Three times the answer comes back. Well, in that case, feed my sheep. That's your job. Feed them with the word of God. A pastor should also give counsel to those who seek his counsel. He should be available. He should be approachable. Somebody that you cannot come to and say, look, I've got this issue. I don't know what to do. I need to help. A pastor should be somebody who comforts the downcast. Obviously, through public ministry, the ministry should comfort as well as rebuking, but it should comfort. But also privately, where necessary, he should be one to bring a word of comfort to the bereaved, to the sick, to the lonely. He should be one who, as well as wounding with the word of God through the gospel, through convicting of sin, should also bring healing to the people. Healing for the wounded conscience. The balm of the gospel should be applied to the wounds of the people to help them to recover from that sense of conviction, from that sense of guilt and shame and Sometimes despair that some some feel. Where appropriate, nonetheless, a pastor should go to somebody and say to one of the sheep, "Do you need to examine yourself? Is there something wrong here? Is there some wrong attitude?" Now, if if your pastor does that, you don't think he hates you. He doesn't. He does it because he loves you. 
in order to try to help you to, because he knows no sin is going to be good for you. So if he says to you, look, could this be true? Could it be that maybe there's been a, a bit of bitterness or a bit of resentment or a bit of greed or a bit of pride? Don't be angry. So oh, thank you. Thank you for asking that question. And, it, and take the opportunity, examine yourself to see if that's the case. It may be that a pastor might, well, he will. There will be times when a pastor needs to admonish the flock. To admonish means to, to gently reprove, to encourage in the right direction. It's not, it's not a harsh way, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a gentle way of, 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 of trying to help somebody to see that maybe the way that he or she's been living has not been right. Sometimes it is true something a bit more strong is required. Not very often, but occasionally a direct rebuke is required. What you did was wrong. You broke God's law. You treated that person wrongly. Now, not only occasionally, but sometimes that is necessary. Sometimes from the pulpit, more often, much more often, privately. It might be necessary to issue a rebuke. Again, don't resent it if that happens. It's done in, hopefully it's done in love. It should be done in love. Uh, and a pastor will need great wisdom to know when it needs to, when there needs to be a gentle admonition and when there needs to be something a bit stronger. Paul says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Another thing a pastor should do is to rule the church. Again, not as a tyrant, not as some sort of, you know, I'm the leader, do what I say, but, but, but lovingly and kindly give, giving direction to the church and, and, and helping people to see uh, where the church needs to go. Um, if necessary, a, a pastor needs to give leadership in a particular area, which is church discipline. Sadly, sometimes people do fall into sin. And the person doesn't repent, and sometimes that person does need to, uh, that issue needs to be brought to the attention of the church. A pastor should also be looking for those who've gone astray. Um, Jesus talks, doesn't he, about the good shepherd who leaves the 99 in the flock, in the, in the fold, and he goes and looks for the one who's gone astray. And that's could be evangelism, but it also applies to that, that sheep who wanders off, the true believer who wanders off. And in Ezekiel, God, God criticizes the pastors of the Old Testament times because they didn't do that. They didn't go and look for the lost sheep. They didn't bind up the wounded. The, a pastor should also preach the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. 
And he should go out and look for unsaved sinners. Go and knock on some doors and try and find some people and, and, and bring them to Christ. And all this to be done with tender love and great patience, with willingness and without resentment and with much humility. Uh, it is, it, 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 a pastor needs to be careful not to do the right thing, but with a grudging spirit. He should gladly serve his pe- the people under his care. 1 Peter 5, verse 1, the apostle Peter says, I, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock that is, that, that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering those under your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Where should this ministry be exercised? Answer, both publicly and privately. Paul says to the elders, that passage I mentioned from Acts 20, Paul says, he says, uh, you know that, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that would be profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You sometimes get some pastors who are great preachers, but they're dreadful people persons. They don't talk to people. They don't relate with people as, as people. You sometimes get others who are wonderful at going around and having a cup of tea with everybody, but they can't preach. You need to be both. Somebody who preaches and somebody who talks one-on-one and is approachable and and friendly and kind. And the whole thing to be done in love. A man can be a fantastic preacher, but if there's no love, he's wasting his time. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a good noising gong, or a clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So, uh, application for me and Ed and Paul, well, the application is clear. We need to be those who love. Application for anybody who aspires to be a pastor. Well, that's a wonderful calling. And uh, if, if you hope one day you might be a pastor, the first qualification is love. Go to God and say, Lord, I'd like to be a pastor. Please give me love for your people. If you haven't got love for the people, forget it. Forget it. And... I know some of you are looking for churches, or you will be looking for churches, thinking of moving. 
Ask yourself this question when you visit a church. Is this pastor, he might be a good preacher, but does he love people? Observe the way he relates with people. Does he love people? Does he care for them? You can, you can suss that out quite quickly. But look and see. Because if he's not somebody who's gonna, who, who loves, finds another church. And equally, when you're looking to appoint a new pastor here one day, you'll need to do that. One question you need to ask yourself, is this man, does he love, very, really almost the first question, does this man love the Lord's people? Pray for me. I think God has given me a certain measure of love, but I need more. And pray for Ed, pray for Paul. And uh, that, that we will fulfill our role as we should. Now, secondly, um, I can see I'm running out of time, so... But um, the sheep should, in return, love their pastors. First, coming back to to 2 Corinthians. And um, chapter 6 and verse 11. He says, We've spoken to you freely, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to children, widen your hearts also. And then chapter 7, verse 2, make room in in your hearts for us. You sometimes get, in human relationships, what is sometimes called unrequited love. You've ever heard that expression? It's not perhaps a very common expression. Unrequited love. What that means is it's when there's what, say a a married couple. The husband tenderly loves his wife, but the wife doesn't care tuppence for the husband. She slags him off and is rude about him, doesn't do what he says, and perhaps then goes off and has an affair. And, and he's, the, the man is broken. The heart is broken. Sometimes it's the other way around. The woman really loves her husband, but there's no return back from the husband. You sometimes get it with kids, don't you? Children, you know, you get a parent who really loves his daughter or, or son and does everything for that. And, and the more that parent loves the child, the more it's thrown back in his face. It happens, doesn't it? Unrequited love. It's not returned. And what Paul has got here is an an example of unrequited love in the church. He's loving the believers, yes, but they're not loving him back. It's all one way. And Paul urges the, the believers to return to him the something of the love that he's shown to them to open their hearts back to him as he's opened his heart to them. Now, let me just give you a few examples of how this should work out. Now, again, I say, I just try to forget it's me speaking. Just, just try and think of it in terms of, like, a, you know, I'm a visiting speaker, okay, or something like that. But I'm just trying to try and give you some biblical principles here. How, could, how can you show love your pastor and I have to teach this because it's in scripture so first of all you, you can pray for your pastors 
Paul says this, doesn't he? Ephesians 6, verse 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought. The great apostle is tempted to chicken out from saying what the gospel really is. Because he knows, if he says what the gospel really is, stones are going to start flying in his direction, in all probability. You know, not surprisingly, you might think, oh, I think I might might just uh, tone it down a bit today. Pray for me, he says, that that, that I can be bold. Pray for your part. Pray for me. Pray for Ed. Pray for Paul. That we might preach properly. Pray for us coming up to the Sundays. Pray for Ed as he goes to the open air and and Paul and myself and, and others who join us as we go visiting. If you're able to, come along before the prayer meet, before the service starts and pray for the preaching. We need your prayers. If, if the Lord doesn't work, nothing's going to happen. So pray for the preaching. Another thing you can do to show love to your pastor is come and be fed. Now, of course, you, by coming to be fed, you're showing love to yourself as well because if you don't come and get fed, you're not going to do yourself any good. But actually, you're also doing your pastor good because it's quite difficult to preach to an empty church building, you know, uh, when you know that there's someone who could be there and they don't, obviously we know some can't be there because of ill health and weakness and so on. But if you've got a pretty good idea that some could be there and they don't show up, that, that can be difficult. So, so come and be fed. And that also it makes your pastor's job easier because then, then you'll hear the teaching that you need to hear so he doesn't have to tell you privately afterwards. Oh, you've got a problem. Well, if only you'd been there on Sunday, you'd have heard the sermon which dealt with this very issue. <laughs> you know, so come and be fed. Uh, it, it, that, 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 that helps all round. Another thing you can do is you can listen carefully to what is said and put it into practice. In Ezekiel 33, the, God says to Ezekiel that The people of his day treated Ezekiel like somebody who sings songs. And they would sort of, you know, rate him. Oh, that's a good one, you know. But they didn't actually listen to what he was saying and put it into practice. They just thought, oh, that's a good song. I wonder, do you do that with sermons? I must admit, I have to be careful when I'm listening to other people. You You know, you start ticking, oh, that's tick, tick. Oh, that's a good point. No, bad point made there. Oh, rambling there. Uh, oh, quite orthodox there. And, and, and you're sort of rating, but are you listening? And I challenge myself with that. But what about you? You know, you have these programs, don't they, on the TV, you know, uh, where, where the audience then sort of, you know, scores the, uh, the, the song afterwards. You know, oh, that was, you know, and the, the judges score it. You know, five, nine out of ten, and then the audience scores. You know, and then, and then, you know, it, 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 it's it's oh yeah, that they'll go through to the next round of the competition. Do you do that with with sermons? You're sort of scoring them rather than actually listening to what is actually being said and actually applying it in your life. Another thing is to submit to your pastors. Um, 
I hasten to add, insofar as what they say is in line with God's word and not beyond their authority. So Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I must qualify this because this is not saying, okay, if your pastor tells you where you've got to live or whom you've got to marry or what job you've got to do or, you know, some, or what color shoes you've got to wear or something like that, and he says, if you don't do this, you're disobeying me, your pastor, then he's gone way beyond his authority. And, and you, you know, you don't need to obey your pastor if he's telling you that sort of thing. But, but if your pastor is saying to you, look, on the basis of God's word, really, this is what you should be doing, and, you, and shows you the scripture, then obey him, because he's speaking to you as the Lord's representative, and, and that's going to make his life easier, because you're not going to be a disobedient sheep. Another uh, thing is to follow the example of pastors, Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. To the extent that your pastor does embody the teaching of Scripture, copy him. No, don't I mean, if you can see a fault, don't copy that. But if you to the extent you can see, yes, he's he's living in line with God's word, then imitate that. Another thing is show proper respect. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and to admonish you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now again, I need to just qualify this to some extent because of the way this verse has been abused by some who put their pastors on a pedestal and say, oh, you must, you must, you know, you must never criticize the pastor. You must never, you know, he might do something really awful. He might, you know, put his hand into the offering box and steal the money. Ah, oh, but touch not the Lord's anointed, people say. No, no, no. If, if your pastor does something wrong, he needs to be challenged. He's a member, he needs to be, just like any member of the church needs to be challenged. And Paul does say to Timothy that, that pastors who sin, you know, should be rebuked openly and publicly. So, uh, you know, you shouldn't, a pastor should not be put, you know, in a sort of untouchable category. But to the extent that he, a pastor, is, is doing his work properly and, 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 um, and, and serving God as he should, uh, he should be treated with, with respect. And, and high regard. I, I personally, some people say, oh, we, you, should, you, should, you should be called pastor. Well, I don't really like to be called pastor because that, that, that puts the pastor in a different category. You know, I'm just a brother and I'm very happy to be called Henry, not, not, not Pastor Henry or anything like that. But there should be still some respect and, and some, um, yeah. And then providing for needs of pastors. Um, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 7 talks about um, 
The Apostle Paul says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk. Do I say this from a merely human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads, is treading out the grain. Is it only about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says it for us, doesn't he? And so on. He's saying that, that the pastors should be provided for by the congregation. Another way in which love can be shown to pastors is through giving encouragement. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Has the Lord spoken to you? Maybe through a sermon. Well, tell your pastor that. Or maybe you've been reading something in your quiet time and your Bible reading and the Lord's really spoken to you and helped you. Well, share it so that your, the one who teaches can also be encouraged and helped. And then I'd also say you can love your pastor or pastors by honestly talking about any problems which might arise in your relationship with your pastor. It's bound to happen because pastors are sinful. They're redeemed sinners, but they still sin from time to time. They make mistakes. And also sheep are sinners, and they make mistakes and sometimes misunderstand things. So between the two of us, there's bound to be, bound to be something or other, sooner or later. So what are you going to do when I or Ed or Paul says something that annoys you or does something that annoys you? What are you going to do with that? You've got two options. Either you walk away or you talk. And the biblical thing to do is to talk. Now, you might find you talk and, you know, in, in some instances it's true, you know, an irreconcilable difference emerges and you realize you're just not going to be able to be in the same church and then we just, then you just have to part on as good terms as possible. But in the vast majority of cases, there'll be, you know, either the pastor will have done something wrong and he apologizes or you've misunderstood and you can say, I'm sorry I misunderstood you or whatever it is. And vast majority of cases, these things can be sorted out. So the loving thing to do not only for the pastor, but for the whole church. Because if you walk away from the church because the pastor said something that annoyed you, well, you're not only being unkind to the pastor, you're being unkind to all of your brothers and sisters as well. So talk about any problem that there might be. Well, um, I hope that you, you'll understand that, I'm not, that none of this is said out of any gripe or anything else like that, but just trying to help you to understand what my responsibilities are, what Paul's and Ed's responsibilities are as, as your pastors, but also to help you to understand what your responsibilities to us are as well, from Scripture rather than from any personal acts to grind. And uh, let me just, as I, as I finish, just, just remind us of where we started and what we're thinking about as we came up to the Lord's Supper. Christianity is all about love. It's all about how God loved his people and sent his son to die for their sins. And it's all about how God continues to love his erring sheep 
and how he will love them right the way through until they're perfect. And the response that we are to make is to believe the message of the gospel and then to love. We love God and we love one another. So what we're talking about today is the very essence of Christianity. It's one particular application in terms of pastors loving their flock and the flock loving the pastors. But, but it's, the, really, it's, 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 it's just a, one specific application of, the, of this great principle of love. May we be a people of love. May I be a, a, a pastor who loves. May you be a people who love. Not just loving your pastor, but loving each other and helping each other to grow up to maturity. Well, I hope and pray that that is helpful for us. Could we sing our last hymn, which is um, a, uh, a prayer? Uh, May the love of Christ my Savior. Uh, oh, 800